What is crack-a-lackin', fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am a damp valley coming at you with a solo podcast, but it's going to be a mailbag podcast. Grant and I want to do a Hot or Not uh, episode when we do our live stream on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, so be sure to check that out. Also, before we dive into this mailbag, and I think I'll two up for this week, so I'm going to try and keep this one a little bit short since it's very late and I'm trying to do better with my sleep. Spoiler alert, I'm sucking at it. I'm trying. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't done so already, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, the whole nine, YouTube, subscribe, like. If it's your first time checking us out, please make us a regular listen or watch on YouTube or Apple, Spotify, whatever. Finally, uh, if you've done those things, though, tell people about us. Retweet us on Twitter. Shout us out. Pull quote us. Those are always fun to see. Join our Discord as well. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. And follow us on all the socials. TikTok, we're closing in on 300 followers. Help us get there at Hardwood Knox on TikTok and Twitter, and then Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. I don't have anything else for us. Let's just get to, we had a lot of fantastic questions here. I'm going to start with one that's kind of fairly topical, but also uh, a little, I, I, it's all sorts of, I did. I wanted to address it on the podcast, but uh, I don't, let's just get here. Jake from State Farm, as I'm stumbling through this. So this may not be too NBA related, but what are the potential ramifications we could see from the league's investigation into Jaws' Instagram video? With all of the reports and his strange celebration after Desmond's mains three the other night, is he trying to be this generation's AI? What should Memphis do moving forward, especially with just all the chaos going on with the team? Clark's out for the season. He has that Achilles injury. Brooks already on his 16th tech. Ja, not just now, but in the future. So this is really tough for me to comment on, I hate the idea of me being just this like white dude commenting on the lifestyle or any disciplinary action that's to go towards this black 23 year old kid, because there's a 23 year old kid. And I think we forget myself included a lot that these players are so young and they're in the public eye that we, we almost age them up and expect them to act um, differently or more responsible or prop them up to be, Someone they're not in the sense that 23 is still 23, regardless of um, the situation, your income that you're in. With that being said, no, it's absolutely unacceptable. All the reports that came out in the WOPO uh, report, if you didn't read that yet, you should probably check it out. Just about him punching a teenager. He's claiming self-defense, but his like, I I think it was his agent came out and like the, the rebuke of that was just very half-assed or soft saying uh even though he struck first it was self-defense or no charges were filed so we're pointing that out the whole finish line incident where he apparently came up with like nine people or a total of nine people after his mom got into the argument with a finish line employee and that he's talking shit to the security guard uh there's also that and i don't think this was made a big enough deal it just kind of came out the athletic that the nba tried to investigate whatever laser pointer whatever thing was pointed at the pacers after a grizzlies game and they couldn't co- corroborate anything. And that's just kind of like, that was the last thing we mentioned mentioned about it. And then now this, where he has the Instagram live after a loss, um, holding a gun up in the video, it appears. And now there's an investigation being done by the Colorado police. Um, Colorado is a open carry state, but some parts are not. It's also, uh, did he have a license for it? And also you're per, um, this is ESPN, I believe, you're not allowed to be carrying a gun. This is the NBA's protocols while on team business. So where does that qualify as um rant is going to be away from the team for at least a total of two games which is what um has been announced so far i don't know if there's going to be further disciplinary action i do not know what that disciplinary disciplinary action should be i thought the jones had a great thread on this um i am 
it's it's sad and it's depressing and i don't want to use john moran's age as sort of this shield to defend him because it is unacceptable he's 23 he's now spent let's say 20 percent of his life as uh super rich and having access to resources that only people could dream of and he's old enough and in a situation where he should know right from wrong and that this shit that we're hearing about is clearly wrong and it's troubling and it's not an okay reaction to to stress um or as he put it i believe in his announcement at the same time just some of the things being said are just super awkward here where you're making sweeping judgments about his character uh you know long term scaling ahead as as a man as a person like you can make like and i'm not excusing these mistakes but like these are not as nothing i have heard is irredeemable something that he can't atone for and i would also argue that you know there's a reports i think mark stein mentioned it to mcmahon mentioned it on the hoop collective there's been shit going on for about a, at least a year over a year that the grizzlies have been concerned this is a failure on their part as well if this shit was happening for over a year and they didn't take more steps to address it behind the scenes and now it's sort of oh it's in the public eyes so we're going to do something about it there was also the report from shams that uh stephen adams had kind of said that uh not a kind of said but in a players only meeting had said that the Grizzlies need to have more discipline on the road, essentially, and that everyone knew said meeting and comments were aimed at John Morant. Uh, I like, okay, he's still, he's like, first of all, if Steven Adams told me to do anything, I'm like, I'm going to do it at full attention. That would scare the shit out of me. So I, I am concerned here. I don't think, I don't know if Ja is doing this on purpose. I don't know if this is the result, if he's trying to be some sort of renegade as, uh, Jake from Safe Farmers, is he trying to be this generation's AI? I didn't, I didn't really look at it like that. Um, I also don't know if this warrants, a, you know, think pieces in the form of like, does he need to follow the route of Carmelo Anthony when he kind of got that uh, stern warning from a camera member who it was? Mark J. Spears just wrote about this for Enscape, so go check that out. I'm really just, I, I'm not, I'm, I refuse to write off job because of this, like I, that. Like everyone knows how I feel about the Grizzlies who listens to this podcast. I don't think that they're contenders. I think the team really messed up when you're looking at a talent perspective of not filling holes that they needed. Uh, But the team also seems like they messed up here too, as to why was this not taken more seriously behind the scenes? At least it seems until now, until it gets to this point. And I'm concerned like, like for jaw, like this is just the 23 year old who, yes, like he's been given this intense amount of privilege and I'm, you can't, Again, you can't excuse this, but I want everyone to just be okay. Like that would be the, the ultimate goal goal here. And so where this comes from a, a human interest perspective, it's absolutely unacceptable. It's indefensible at this point. And I would not excuse it, but I also just like some of the things that are being said are just wildly uncomfortable. And like I said, even spending five minutes, seven minutes on this uh, for the podcast, I just, I hate being like the white dude that's going to be on a soapbox. And so I think that's all I'll say about the, the human aspect of this is that I hope I hope Ja is okay, and I hope that his behavior does slip around, but I don't think it's also just like, oh, he's super young, and we need to, you know, there needs to be a level of empathy here, but this goes beyond just being super young. I don't care that he was, frankly, I don't care that he was at a strip club while he was on the road. Like, that's just the, that's going to be the NBA lifestyle at points, and he's 23 and with money. I don't know what you expect, but as Romani pointed out, we can say all we want about the people he's surrounding himself with. There's comments made about his father and how he needs to step in and do a better job. Like I'm not going to infer anything about his, uh, you know, his dad or his friends uh, based off everything that I've read and heard and now seen is just like, it's been John Morant that's doing this stuff. And so it's, it falls on him and he's an adult and it should fall on him. 
But I think we need to stop pretending anyone who is pretend like, or anyone who's saying that this is irredeemable or hinting at it, or if there's just some, you know, there's, there's racist undertones to what they're saying. Like this is that, that is gross. Like that, that's absolutely gross. This isn't something Ja can't come back from. And hopefully that he will return and it'll be smooth sailing from the Grizzlies from there on out. Or And also, like, it matters more than for just the Grizzlies. It matters that this is a 23-year-old kid who I hope he's just going to make smarter, better, safer decisions uh, moving forward. And that's, like, that's the first and foremost concern is you don't want to see anything, this lead to anything worse. And then basketball is kind of secondary for me from there. And it's also super, this is, like, that's kind of wrapping up the jaw stuff. But to see... Uh, there was the the tweet from Shams where he had the report about the Grizzlies players only meeting. And then you have bet online responding to that tweet saying we have odds on John Morant's return. And it's just like, I understand the world today and I don't have a problem with people who, who bet on sports. I personally do not. I used to, when I was younger before it was legal throughout the United States, but like, it just doesn't, doesn't necessarily do anything for me to each their own. But like we don't have to fucking have odds on everything. And so there's just like a level of, grotesqueness to having odds on whether John Moran is going to return because again, there's a, there's a major human element to this. We're talking about someone's like livelihood is that sacred life is just in play here. And then there's also the livelihood of those around him, just because if he's, if he has a, if he actually does have a gun or if they're like the whole red laser thing, that's just not behavior that is going to, if it keeps up long-term, I would imagine lead to anything productive and could lead to something tragic. But again, I'm not going to infer all these things about Ja as a person and a human and his future just because at the age of 23, he's really fucking up. And we've all made major fuck-ups when we're around that age. I know I know, I did. It just didn't happen in the public eye. And again, there's a different scale to this. I want to make that clear. I also wasn't going around pointing lasers at people. We don't know if that was Ja. I also definitely wasn't going around with a gun. I'm just saying, let's not write off John Rant long term and let's be careful about what we say. I'm even like, even as I'm saying this right now, as I thought about this a ton, I almost want to go back and listen and like edit out stuff that maybe I stumbled through so I didn't say anything wrong. I'm like, we probably need to approach it with a level of caution that even supersedes uh, that. So I hopefully that answers your question there from Jay State Farm. And where it comes to the Grizzlies, uh, I, like Brandon Clark's super important to them, especially if you're going to have, uh, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr not playing even 30 minutes per game, which I think is probably going to harsh his defensive player of the year case. And then there's going to be certain matchups in the playoffs specifically where you, you can't fly with Steven Adams. I would imagine we did see it a little bit last year. Uh, so that's definitely, and it sucks for him. Achilles are tough to come back from. He's, I mean, you know, I'm glad he signed an extension too, because a lot of what he does is prided on, on balance. Uh, Dylan Brooks, I would imagine that he'll probably watch himself after this suspension to where you're not going to, you know, another two texts and get suspended again. I imagine he's not going to want to put himself in that position, but I just look at the Grizzlies as a team with or without jaw. That doesn't, that doesn't have the the championship oomph that their record suggests. And even as we record this, like they are in danger of falling out of the, the number two spot. And I don't know if anything that happens with jaw aside from him being out for an extended period of time, if he comes back, I don't know if that has any sort of impact, whatever on the locker room, I would imagine not that the, the intangibles are overrated, but we do tend to, I think, overrate maybe how much like just because of what the public perception of John might be at the time and how frustrated his teammates might be there. This is not going to be a situation where they're going to shun him or just completely ruins the the team chemistry would be my guess. Once he, once he returns. Uh, although we tend to, I tend to say, well, players are like warmer and like each other more than we try to make this out to be with rivalries. And then we have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving just not acknowledging each other during the sun's 
uh, Mavericks game on Sunday. We'll say it was like a slight comfort to me for maybe Kevin Durant to show like the slightest disdain for Kyrie Irving because it was just what kind of fucking blind loyalty did he have to that guy that he put up with it, um, whatever shit was happening in Brooklyn for, for so long, uh, but not even semi-related to the topic. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at on the Grizzlies. Brian C. asks, if you were the Thunder GM, so just consume me talking about Sam Presti here, and you got a top two pick, so a top two pick, Scoot or Wemby would be the selection. Would you go all in immediately? By this, they don't mean trade the pick, but they mean target someone else. And who would it be based on the assets that OKC has and the roster they have? And he also, Brian asked, do they have enough to get to OG Mikhail Bridges level players? I, I So to answer the second part of this question first, I would think that they could get... Uh, two of and like if they wanted to i think they could go out and say hey we're not trading shay we're not trading chet and we're not trading this year's first round pick everyone else is on the table josh giddy j dub and you could go out and get both og and mikhail just as like i wouldn't do that you have Lou dort but just but you could get two of those type of players and how would it change for me one would i go all in I probably wouldn't go all in, but I would definitely go more in than I know the Thunder would go. If they let's just say they have Wemby or Scoot and then Chet Homer's coming back, they're gonna want to see what they have with the roster before they make any major moves. And they're not a they're a franchise that thinks very deliberately, methodically, takes their time. And so there would be a graduality to what they do. And you know that they have Shea under lock and key long term. And unless he becomes disenchanted with their direction, which maybe if they're losing again next season, that's something that would be a risk, but I think you would have to look at the roster and say, okay, look at the improvement we made this year. And we're going to get Chet and a top two pick next season. Uh, that being said, if you do get scoot, that does open up being able to trade Josh Giddy a little bit more, who showed a bunch of offensive improvement this year. And I, I don't know what player I would target. I will tell you re- exact name. I will tell you right now that that player needs to shoot. Uh, the offense in OKC has gotten a lot better and they've been hitting their threes overall the past couple months. But you look at the roster, and there's just no one aside from Isaiah Joe who's like this caps lock shooter. And so I would like to see them get someone, preferably a bigger on the wings, who's going to have this functional touch. And Mikhail Bridges would, would probably be perfect for them. Uh, but I also think that if you're going to go all in, it, just, it does suggest going after a star. And so if it's Scoot, like you want that star to come, you have Scoot and you have SGA. And let's just, let's leave it there. Like it's, you know, you have Chet. But like if you're getting Scoot or Wemby and then you have SGA, I think you look at it as, okay, Chet and Wemby or Scoot and then SGA are just your primary building blocks. Like you you don't make Josh Giddy untouchable in that scenario. You don't make J-Dub untouchable. You don't make uh, even Lou Dort untouchable. Those are players that you would preferably keep around. But I think immediately, even, even I would say it now, like Chet and I, I guess you throw Josh Giddy in here just looking at the makeup of their roster. But I really look at Chet and SGA as just like, okay, this is the – bold text nucleus of this Oklahoma city roster is no, are they actively looking to move guys like Usman Jang, who I still remain very high on or Kendrick Williams, who's going to have a statue outside in OKC one day, I would imagine. No, absolutely not. But like is a Lou Dort untouchable. If you're, if you're actively deciding to go in on a star trade, no, it's just the question of, okay, would they decide to go in on that type of a deal? And so you could look at it. Like if you have, even if you have Scoot or Wemby, do you consider looking at a Joel Embiid? If James Harden leaves and he becomes disenchanted in Philly, that's someone who could absolutely fit with whether it's Scoot or it's Wemby. I guess if you have Wemby, Chet, and 
Embiid like, could get a little awkward, but Wemby's basically a wing, and we know that Chet, just based off his his play style archetype, can play alongside another big. I would even say Pascal Siakam, whether it's Wemby or Scoot as well. Definitely if it's Scoot, but if it's Wemby, um, you could you could go with him too. I wouldn't mind you know if we're gonna throw like Mikhail Bridges or OG Ananobi are probably the lowest. They're not the lowest tier of players, but like if we're talking about going all in on someone, that's who I'm really thinking of. Like that's the lowest tier of an all in play I would make. Uh, and that might be a little bit of an insult to Mikhail Bridges, but certainly OG Ananobi. It's not, oh, let's go all in in a Gary Trent Jr. sign and trade. And you also don't need to do that because you have cap space this year. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. might actually be a pretty good fit for the roster, though. I wouldn't be a Bradley Beal guy for this team. Siakam and Embiid are the two names I'm keeping an eye on. If it's Scoot, not no for Zach Levine. If it's Wemby, would I consider Zach Levine? Depending on the cost, just because he's a little bit younger than Bradley Beal, I ultimately would say no. Someone who is older, if they became available, though, and you don't have Scoot. This is a this is a Wemby thing. Damian Lillard would just be super interesting. OKC with SGA, Dame, Chad Holmgren, and Wemby. That's a core. Uh, this is so wild too because OKC just not. I'm spending all this time. OKC just not going to get a top two pick because they're going to, in the end, should be too good statistically. Brand Ingram make a lot of sense if New Orleans New Orleans decides to shake things up or he becomes disenchanted there. I don't I don't know what you would need to do to move Brand Ingram in New Orleans. I wouldn't just do it for future equity. They have future equity. They're another team that needs to make an all in trade. But I'm just sort of sort of spitballing there. And look, these are all names that whether OKC like they're getting Chet back and they're going to have. A, maybe another lottery pick or at least one other first round pick and another, okay. Uh, Ushman Jang and J dub will have more experience under their belt. Like they're a team that could justify, especially with the cap space they have and all the future draft equity. Yeah. There's not a ton of incoming players this year, but you have to start thinking long-term. We can't house all of these guys. So even if you don't get a top two pick, like I'm the thunder, like I'm opportunistic here and I'm thinking, all right, if it's not, yeah, it's different. If you get the number one or two pick, maybe you're more inclined to go all in. Or does that make you more patient? I could see a case for both. Uh, that if I were the Thunder, though, I've already been on record. Like I am buying. Like I'm using my cap space this summer. So you know, what if Paul George or Kawhi Leonard becomes available? I don't know that they would reunite with Paul George, even though that seemed to end on fairly rosy terms of what they got for him. But I think Kawhi would probably dictate where you would want to go, and you don't really want to open yourself up to the injury history. There's a difference between accelerating your timeline and then maybe making it a little too flimsy they do need someone though like that three four whether it's even if, like even if you get Wemby that feels like it would be the ideal and even Wemby's more ideal because it feels like he gives you more positional flexibility in your trade targets than Scoot but yeah like those are all the names that I mentioned there if this is just like you would have to make the all-in trade and be like hey he's gonna hit free agency are you sure he's gonna resign to, to his incumbent team right now and be like, hey, like, could you get Jalen Brown? And my, I, my guess would be no, but like those, those are the names I think realistically or path that I could see. I like Pascal Siakam, Brandon Ingram, and then Joel Embiid, just like if the James Harden stuff blows up because that, that Houston noise is just so damn loud right now. Uh, and they can even just like, you know, straddle the line and go with John Collins just because he won't cost anything to really get Anthony Davis would be kind of fun too. If the Lakers decide to blow it up, but I don't think that happens either. So there are a lot of different routes they could go. But if I identify one player, let's try and balance being realistic with it. That will be available because we, we, we all know this is moot because the thunder won't make the all in trade that I, I think would make a ton of sense for the thunder. I really want to be like spicy here and say Joel Embiid, but it would just be Siakam like monitor him. And if you have him and Chet and then Wemby or scoot with SGA and like whatever else is left, like that's a pretty, Fucking awesome 
core. Uh, fun question. I'm just worried that I'm just hoping the Thunder use their cap space and try and go be the K. Okay, let's drum up uh, the market on uh, Grant Williams's offer sheet or um, even PJ Washington's. Like, let's like see if you could poach one of those guys. But yeah, uh, this one we had a lot of Raptors questions, which is always fun. The Raptors are a fascinating team. Uh, this one comes from Demos Quoll. What kind of contract is FVV hoping to get in free agency being so after being so bad with his shot this year? Yeah, I will say, you know, that's like a less than ideal contract year for Fred Van Fleet right now. We've seen the areas in which look, he's looked he's looked like more of a live wire off the dribble since the the Jakob Pertle trade, where it's like having someone who's actually screening and, and rolling that that goes a long way. Uh, for what he's able to do. And I think it's made him more dangerous as a passer, but the shooting is really yet to come around for, for him. Uh, He's and like, look overall, he's still in the 70. And this is what is so troubling. And it's to Demos's point, 74th percentile of pick and roll scoring efficiency. And he's turning the ball over on a smaller share of those possessions around 10% than he did last year, which is 14%. And like I said, he looks like more of that live wire playmaker since the arrival of purple Pirtle off the dribble. Uh, but the outside shooting, though, I just like, my God, he'll have stretches or games of really high efficiency. And then there's like a two of seven or worse clip from deep. Uh, he, Van Fleet shot 37.9% from three last year, and he was a 38.2% career shooter entering this year. He's now comfortably under 34% for this season. And what's also awkward is that the drop off is coming where he's statistically been most successful, and that's on catch and shoot threes. He's hitting under 35% of his spot of triples, which is down from 43.3% last year and 38.1% in 2021. Could last year have been the outlier relative to what we know? Perhaps. But you could also say, well, maybe this isn't really a concern at all. If he's shooting this poorly for this long in a contract year, it'll eventually come back, right? Because that's his strength. Or is this devolution maybe a little bit more permanent? He's not like super young. And you kind of want to believe this isn't the new normal, but then what if it is? I tend to just lean towards this is not the new normal. He's actually been a little bit higher on his catch and shoot threes over his past 15 or 16 games, over 35%. Not a great number, but a better number. I don't think the Raptors offense is always conducive to getting him the most quality looks either. Uh, But, you know, there are long-term implications here. and, And just like if we're talking about, you know, a team, that wants to go all in on someone this summer, it helps that Fred Van Fleet is going to be a top five free agent, no matter what. Uh, he's 29, and so next year will be, be his age 29 season, but he will turn 30 in February. At the same time, could rebuilding teams still look at him and say, oh, this is someone that we're willing to give near max money to? Which, by the way, his max, which is the seven to nine year max, is in is in the 40s. I don't think he's getting 40.2 million. I don't think he's getting that from anybody. But I think he gets, and if he declines his player option, it's because he believes that he's going to get comparable to the 22.8 million that he's on the books for next year, or at least a, a crap ton of more money uh, over the the longer term. I know a lot of people think that Kyle Lowry's past deal was like three and ninety or three and one hundred might have been his target. I think that. We'll see him get, if I had to take the over-under on $30 million per year on an average annual value, I'm going to take, I think I'm going to take the under, even with the salary cap going up, unless he just goes on a heater for the rest of this season. Uh, that's a that's just a lot of money 
to invest in Fred Randall, even if it's 30 million against a $134 million salary cap, uh, 22% of salary cap on Fred Van Vliet. Maybe I, I might need to restructure this. Over under 30 million. Let's go over under 31 million. I'll take the under just to leave open the idea that maybe someone gives him 30. And if he does get 30, I, I don't think it's going to be a four year deal. And maybe players will want to sign shorter contracts anyway to get back into free agency once the new cap or TV money is infused into the salary cap. But yeah, I don't know what type of deal he's going to get. I will say that he's not getting, I'll be shocked if it's under 25 million and something like four of a hundred or maybe three for like 88 or something feels like it would be in his wheelhouse based off the season he had, but that's also, that just might be undervaluing his defense. And so there are teams that I think could come in the Raptors being one of them because you Losing him for nothing would be a catastrophe after not trading him at the deadline. But if you're a team like looking at the, the squads that have cap space, I don't think that you have Jay Ivey and Kate Cunningham and Killian Hayes and maybe Scoot at that point in Detroit. So they'll have money, but you would have to move a lot of other pieces around. Houston could use an adult in the room on offense, but I don't wish them on Fred Van Fleet and they might be in the James Harden sweepstakes. That's a team though that I could see like, hey, here's 30 to 35 million a year to come play for us. Uh, the Pacers will have money, and he would actually be really fascinating with Tyree Halliburton. Tyree Halliburton, but they have Benedict Matherin already, and the Pacers need to get to to too much room. They're they're sub thirty. OKC could have over thirty million dollars in cap space. So could Orlando. Orlando's definitely more likely to use it. The Spurs could get the thirty five plus million. Utah should have about fifty plus million. That's assuming they waive Olenek, which I'm I don't think that that would be a given. But they'll have more than max room. I can't see either of them going after him. And so just like it feels almost as if it'll be Houston and Orlando that would take a look at him. I guess Charlotte could have money, but LaMelo Ball is going to be there and you have Terry Rozier, so that doesn't make much sense. And then sign and trades are, of course, always on the table. Um, if if I had to guess, we should use, instead of using the just $30 million, Kyle Lowry's contract that he signed with the Heat, if I'm not mistaken, what was that, three years and, oh, it was $85 million. That's actually, it had, I didn't realize it had, I don't know why I thought it was more. Do I think it's going to be more than the Kyle Lowry deal on an average annual value? That was about 27, 28, 29.7 in the last year. Uh, I'm going to say, oh, that was his previous deal that I'm thinking of, is that was the three in the 99 or whatever. I could see, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I could see him getting that. If I had to take the over-under on 33, I would definitely take the under. 31 is a little bit tougher just because it could be a short-term windfall there. But yeah, the season's not ideal. I ultimately don't think it cost him too much money. If he was hoping to get a max contract, um, even in the short term, like a three-year, $120 million deal or something, I, I think that is is absolutely out of the, the question at this point for him. Let's move on to this next question, which I believe is also about the, the Raptors. Uh, oh, no, it's not. This one comes from Glad. What's a bigger detriment to a team in the playoffs? A defensive ace with no offensive game or a pure bucket that is an absolute liability on defense look so much of my being wants to say it's the the human bucket who can't get a stop on on defense i believe as you phrase it let's go back to there uh a pure bucket does an absolute liability on defense but like we've seen jordan pool play some pretty high leverage minutes in the the nba finals and i think just you know it doesn't always have to be this stark of a discrepancy but just look how sort of how much of a non-entity guys like tony allen were in the past, or even uh, Andre Robertson, uh, more recently Matisse Leibel in Philly. And so if you can't shoot in the playoffs, it feels like you're going to be less likely to play than even if you play top-tier defense than someone who 
uh, is able to just get buckets. And it's just you like Jordan Poole, that from scratch creation uh, is is a big deal. And so now it becomes a little bit different if you're just someone who who sh- who shoots and you don't have any sort of on ball juice, no no playmaking chops. Then I could see it being okay. Like, well, we would rather have the defensive specialist then. And look, a lot of it just probably depends on the the makeup of your of your team. If you're just so skewed toward offense and you're going to play, you know, three the four players who are defensive liabilities, you're just not maybe not going to care as much about shooting if they can all space the floor, create for themselves. And so just like look at it this way, and this is just a bad example. But if the Nuggets, let's change their roster up a little bit. If the Nuggets had Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and then ah, like Aaron Gordon's good on defense. It's I'm I'm trying to think of like what would be a what would be like a good and then Bones Highland still. No, that's too mean. But like if you had those three, someone else who's just good on off like and wasn't good on defense. That's why I'm not using Gordon, KCP, or Bruce Brown. Are you gonna care more about putting Matisse Thibel in? If you had him on the roster, are you going to care about someone who could shoot more? Yeah, it's important to space the floor around Jokic, but if you already have three other shooters around Jokic on the court, and then four, including Jokic himself, it's definitely going to it's definitely going to depend on the makeup of the team, I believe. But I I think that in the end, offense is more important. Specifically, shot creation is more important. So that's why we would see guys in higher demand, like if it was a prime Lou Williams, than we would someone who was like an Andre Robertson or. A, Tony Allen at point where, yeah, it was cool that he could defend Kevin Durant, but it got to a point where if he didn't even have his athleticism and wasn't moving well off the ball and defense has just completely ignored him, um, that makes it easier to cover everybody else. And you were essentially, you're playing four on five then offensively. And that that's really tough. No matter how good your offense is, if, if teams were able to pack the paint or just readily double uh, your best player. So yeah, I think it's, everyone can let me know if they disagree, but I think if it's between having a bigger having a defensive ace with no offensive game or pure bucket. That's an absolute liability on defense. I'm going with the pure bucket. Who's an absolute liability on defense. Again, that's in the, that's in the playoffs. And I guess in the regular season too, I think you just get away with it a little bit more in the regular season. But when teams have time to game plan, uh, I, I think that the, it's more important to have the, the pure bucket. And this is assuming again, that it, this is just not like, you know, Steve Novak, who all he can do is hit just like three pointers. Can't put the ball on, on the floor. How's that for a throwback? This next question comes from uh, at uh, hopeful 01 TTF. Has Pascal Siakam improved as a playmaker this season? My answer here would be, and I think, look, the 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 stats are are going to agree with me. The answer is yes. You look at his assists per 36 minutes, those are up. Uh, his turnovers per 36 minutes. Those are down. That really does show progress as a playmaker. He's assisting on a higher percentage of his drives than he was last year, while also committing turnovers on a fewer percentage of those plays. And I think when you dig into the film, which is I did do that for this, I also happened to watch most of the Raptors Nuggets game tonight before recording this. When you look at his passes, there's like the Raptors offense feels too uh, sloggy at points where like they have guys who can create, but they're in like these very trying overly scripted stick in the mud types of, you know, speeds where, yeah, they can get up and down and transition, but in the half court, it's just so boggy. Uh, so that can be tough to watch, but Pascal Siakam, there's definitely more speed to his handle and changing directions than there ever has been. Uh, you're looking at some of the passes he throws. He's like turning his body on more of them, throwing less obvious passes, it's not just the, you know, the shuttle passes to 
an open shooter or just an entry assist. Uh, doing just more stuff on the move when it comes to his assists overall. And the decision-making feels quicker, where he can pick up his dribble, and like that, he might have gotten rid of the ball, um, or maybe he just determined that he was going to get to the basket by that point. And so there's less sort of having to stop and think. And maybe some disagree just based off the how much Toronto's offense has struggled in the half court. But I think you watch him, and this is someone who we haven't done our all-NBA teams yet. We'll and I've been being asked about them with pretty frequently. When you look at the forwards, they're going to be really fascinating. And I think the only forwards who are guaranteed to make it over him, and because I don't know, when I do all-NBA versus MVP, because of the value word in MVP, I am going to wait minutes played, games missed. When it comes to all-NBA, I'm still going to wait that, where you know Zion, for me, going to play in fewer than 40 games at this point, it looks like. It's hard to really put him in there. But all-NBA, I think you can get away with playing fewer minutes because I'm just looking at flat out who was the best when they were on the court. And did they at least play enough to where it's, oh, okay, you scale forward to, you know, if they only played in, I don't know, like 50, it's arbitrary, but like 55 or something. And so I would have Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, and Giannis as locks over him. And then the discussion just gets super crowded after that. You have LeBron. Does he probably make it? Uh, Pascal Siakam, Julius Randle is certainly going to be mentioned there. Larry Markkinen, Kawhi Leonard has been a beast this uh, for like a really long time at this point. So what type of what type of consideration is he going to get? And he's been, you know, this is yes, we made the the Clippers big. You make the load management jokes, but he's been more available now for quite some time, and so it's just not he's not going to fade out of that discussion. Uh, did I miss anyone? Jalen Brown, I think, will qualify as a guard, so that's not a problem. Anthony Davis will be probably eligible at center, but if look, they do weird shit with the positions where Embiid and Jokic have been eligible at forward too, and so that could also maybe not so much this year with making centers eligible for forwards, uh, because I think you could pretty easily go with well, n- not even then, because it's just like you have Jokic, you have Embiid, you have Anthony Davis, and you have Sabonis, you have Bam Adebayo. Like if you're gonna have the ability to get four of those guys on people might take it like relative. I'm not saying that's right, but like you have to factor kind of those names into there, depending on where they're eligible. At. That's what makes all NBA so tough. So I think Pascal Siakam is going to be on one of my all NBA teams. And I feel like that's going to eventually wind up angering. It's going to come at the expense of like probably Julius Randall, or is it a Kawhi at that point? Let's see who's eligible. Uh, it's That's going to be, that's going to be tough. But yeah, I think Pascal Siakam has gotten, uh, made huge strides this year as a playmaker. And I think over like the, the rappers have been a, like a, a dim spot, but he's been like a bright light. The basically the entire year uh, <laughs> we have another Raptors question from Paul. What do we make of the Raptors? And look, Paul, I, I wish I had a better answer for you other than I don't fucking know, but I don't fucking know. I don't know what to make of this team. Uh, they on paper, it looks like they should be better. And yet they are just uh, still a little too top heavy, even after the Yaka Pirtle trade at the same time, they make a lot more sense after the Yaka Pirtle trade as someone who can set screens, having someone who can set screens and roll the rim, someone who is going to give them a backline rim protector. And they, you know, they played the nuggets before collapsing. They, they played like the nuggets well for like 46 minutes of 48. There's no moral victories there, but they're now six and four since the trade deadline. And that's at least, you know, somewhat in, encouraging. Uh, you look at that time though, they're, they're still having some issues 
uh, on the offensive end. They are 20th in points scored per possession during the stretch, but they're 12th in defense. And I think a lot of it back to them, like this, this is just, I don't know how to say it. Like, it's just no surprise. It remains their half court attack. Uh, they are 20th or 24th, excuse me, in efficiency in the, oh wait, I'm sorry. That was actually, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong, I had the wrong thing pulled up for them. Uh, but since the trade deadline, they are uh, 25th in half court efficiency. And so that's, I think that's right about where they've been all season. Uh, and like, that's a, you know, that's, I'm not, I'm still looking at the wrong thing for the Raptors. Apologies here. They're 26th in half court efficiency. Uh, that's not great, Bob. And you still look at this team and yes, the lineups they run, they can absolutely positively space the floor because there's like, they play faux four out or five out lineups, depending on who's the big, if it's Chaka Pirtle, it's, it's clearly not the big, but it's not like a real authentic five out. Like this is still a team that ranks in the bottom four of three point percentage on the year. They're also in the bottom two, uh, bottom three, excuse me, in mid range. And so just the perimeter game is not there. And I think you look at this team and you have to wonder, did they make a mistake? Not selling at the trade deadline, capitalizing on guys and, Fred Van Fleet and Gary Trent Jr. who are going to be free agents this summer, both have player options. Or should you have looked deeply at moving OG Ananobi, who's probably not going to sign an extension just because of the extension rules and the money that he could get by hitting the open market in 2024? Do you want to pay Siakam a a crap ton of money in his extension, assuming he signs one, uh, when he's seven years older than Scotty Barnes? And that makes it really difficult to pinpoint their future. The fact that they gave up a first-round pick shows me they're pretty invested in making this work, and so I'd expect them to bring back close to everybody. Maybe they explore some sign-and-trade scenarios. That being said, a lot of people have panned the 2024 draft class, and so giving up a top-six protected pick might not really matter to them. I still think a top-six protected pick is a top-six protected pick. And so I think when you look at this roster – they're talented enough, and especially I was excited to see we saw more Achua Yaka Pirtle minutes uh, for in Toronto Denver. So I'm wondering if that becomes a staple. I think that's something that could work well for them. Um, just as a random aside, I think when you look at them on paper, if they get a little hot offensively, and we've seen it from OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Fleet certainly before. They could be a team that's like, oh, you don't want to face them, especially if they're the 10 seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. But I don't, this is not the year that I expect them to be that irritant. And this is after me saying in the preseason that I absolutely expect them to be that irritant. I thought they were going to be great. I think their win total was like in the high forties and I smashed the over. So I was clearly wrong on that one, but this doesn't feel like the year. And so you go into this off season, you've now hamstrung some of the picks that you can trade, but you need to get functional, like functional shooting. I guess I would call it. It would be nice if like you preferred if the guy could dribble, so like someone like a Kevin Herter who should not be, he's been playing well for the Kings, but like a Kevin Herter type player feels like he would make all the difference in the world for them. Maybe even, they might even need someone higher end than that who could dribble even more. I mean, Mikael Bridges would be absolutely perfect for them. Uh, even though he's not like the highest volume three point shooters, he's just so good as a, a cutter and a floor spacer getting out in transition. And now, you know, be kind of seen as butting off the dribble game for a couple seasons, but it's really just, uh, you know, it's really coming along at, at this point. So like that would be a name. I don't I, like if you you could go even more nuclear where it's like, well, is this a team that should be in on? They should have been in on Donovan Mitchell, uh, in my not so humble opinion at this point. Is this a team that's just like, oh, if Zach Levine becomes available, do you kick the tires on that? If Damian Lillard became available, certainly, certainly him. 
Um, could this be a team? Like if the Clippers decide to blow it up, Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, let's bring back Kawhi. He's familiar with Toronto, but like it, it could be that level of player. Do you look at even a, I wouldn't, this is Brandon Ingram is just like too like in between heavy for me. I just, I overall, I trust Kawhi Leonard as an outside shooter more than Brandon Ingram, whether that's fair or not at this point, but you need to be in the market for just like, if it's not going to be that type of a star, I would say like a Kevin Herter type will go a long way here. Uh, a Malik Beasley type, but you also already have Gary Trent jr. And so like, that's sort of what makes it weird is you're just so deep at the top. You could still fit in any one of those guys, but are they going to make, a material difference compared to Gary Trent Jr. If you're also acquiring that player while he's leaving. And so it also makes keeping Gary Trent Jr. Fairly uh, in my, in my not so humble opinion, again, uh, fairly important. And look, let's get to, let's do one more question here since I've already went longer than, than I actually wanted to. And it's on the Raptors. Joshua asked, what should Gary Trent Jr.'s new contract look like? Uh, he has an $18.6 million player option that he is expected to decline. So it is, sort of a fascinating um it is a fascinating question as to what would he get on the open market will he want to stay in toronto he's represented by clutch sports uh if he wants to get his money and end up on a really good team sign and trades would happen or maybe he would just stay in toronto thinking that's a really good team he's at over 18 points per game this season 37 percent from three still over 24 uh still only 24 excuse me he does get tunnel vision a little bit on drives but he also kind of has like a pull-up game where he could take you just baseline and, and fade away and knock shot knock shots down off the dribble and i think the age factor is a big thing here because you i don't know why gary Trent feels like he's been in the league forever but he's he's still only 24 that's super young and so some comparisons to consider money-wise looking at the shooting guard ranks and he's sort of a pure shooting guard you could steal time with him at the three in certain matchups and he's aggressive enough away from the ball or maybe that works but he's more of you kind of look i feel like those pure twos and he's on pace too if he keeps this salary which is 18.6 million dollars he would be the um 17th highest uh paid salary as of now with that player option do you think he's better than the 17th best shooting guard in the league probably when you look at the names that are would be making more than him Joe Harris and Buddy Heald, they're both making a little uh, between 19 and $20 million next season. And that kind of feels like the bare minimum. What I've been sort of wondering more is just like, is RJ Barrett's extension sort of a good approximation for what uh, Gary Trent Jr. could get? There's, I, look, this is a serious question. I know RJ is supposed to have the higher ceiling. We've seen him take on traditionally tougher defensive assignments overall. Not so much this year. Gary, Gary Trent Jr. has been better than R.J. Barrett this year. Gary Trent Jr. is the better basketball player right now. You might think R.J. Barrett has the higher on-ball ceiling as a, I guess, rim attacker and facilitator, but like we have not seen that consistently enough this year. And so R.J. signed a four-year, $120 million deal. $107 million is guaranteed. And so like that is, is Gary Trent Jr. going to get four and 100? I just, I, we're talking about like, 25 plus million a year. You know, RJ Barrett's at 26.8 guaranteed million a year. If I had to guess, I'm going to take, man, maybe I'm being too conservative. I'll take the under if we're going to RJ Barrett money that he'll get less than 4107. But I'm also kind of like not so sure. I would feel comfortable paying him between 20 and 22 million because I do think he's better than a Joe Harris or a Buddy Heald. Uh, both of who I think Buddy Heald. The better shooter, just the, the different ways that you can use him, but I would trust Gary Trent Jr. a little bit more off the dribble. He's going to give you a little more rim pressure in the lane 
as well, more on ball jet fuel there. But like I and I can't stress that he's only 24. And so it wouldn't shock me if just like a team came over the top here. Maybe it's even a you know a contender who's just willing to pay him, but there's gonna be some sort of sign and trade with with Toronto because they don't want to be the the team that pays him. So I'm I'm going to say he gets more than $20 million a year. And I will be I don't know if I'll think the contract is a steal, but if he's not making more than Joe Harrison, Buddy Heal next year, I'll be surprised. And like the thing to remember about this is 15% of the projected salary cap next year is over $20 million. And so like there are teams that will allocate 15% of the gap salary cap to me, uh, to Gary Trent Jr. And so I will take the over of $20 million. What's fair to me, I think I'd be willing to go like 22 23 in just a new cap climate. He less than 20% of the cap, which is basically what you know RJ Barrett is going to be taking up, I believe. Uh yeah, he's he's at almost exactly 20% of the cap. So less than 20% of the cap, but more than 15% of the cap. How is that for an answer, Joshua? Hope everyone enjoyed this. I'll be back with the second half of this. We still have a bunch of other great questions to get to, but I'll be back with the second half of this mailbag on. You'll listen to it on Wednesday. You're listening to this on Tuesday. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, the whole nine. Join our Discord. Shout us out on Twitter. Tell people about us. Quote us on Twitter. Retweet us. Uh, if you do shout us out or and tag me or or at Hardwood Knox, I'll remember to retweet you. Subscribe on YouTube. All the socials at Hardwood Knox on TikTok and Twitter and at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Until next time. And as always, I leave you with a shout out to the one, the only, Frank Yilakina. And I will, in grand stead, start remembering to offer the apology. 